Welcome everyone and thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Talawa, the podcast that features Jamaicans locally and abroad who are innovating and dominating in their journey to success. Most importantly, they are doing so based on their own definition of success. This week, we have with us Yvette Colley, who originally hails from the Flower Hill community in Montego Bay, but now lives in New Jersey in the United States. I am your host, Yannick Taylor. Yvette, welcome, and thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me today. No problem. I appreciate you accepting the offer to be on Talawa. So, I know there is so much that you can share, but in the few years that I have known you, um, I have just always seen you as such a wonderful, giving individual. And the way you look at life in general is very refreshing. But what stands out about you is your giving nature. And your giving nature is tied to your upbringing and basically where you originated, Flower Hill in Montego Bay. So tell us a bit about what you remember growing up in Flower Hill. I know you left very young to move to the United States with your family, but I believe that there must have been something that has kept you so connected and driven you to do the wonderful things that you've been doing over the years there, which we're going to get into soon. But just tell us a bit about what you remember about Flower Hill and, you know, what transpired to lead your family to the U.S. and kept your ties to Flower Hill, even though you were raised primarily in the U.S. Okay, so as far as Flower Hill is concerned, my dad relocated the family to Flower Hill. And I always connect Flower Hill to hardship, um, poverty, because when we moved to Flower Hill, it was my first encounter in a lifestyle that I was not used to. Now, my father, um, I was born in Westmoreland. My family was poor. I don't want to say as most Jamaicans family families, but I, was, I am the youngest of four children, and I guess by the time I was born and my memory shaped, I had passed all those hardships that they experienced, and so I, my experience was more on a comfort level. When we lived in Petersfield, um, we had one of the biggest houses in the community, my father had his own business and, you know, everything looked thriving uh, as a child. But my father, um, who had deep roots in Jamaica and, uh, you know, I guess strong connections and all of that wonderful stuff, fell in love with this community called Flower Hill. And it's a absolutely beautiful, breathtaking community. It's like paradise. And so... Mm. He fell in love, and I always call Flower Hill the other woman. Because so, <laughs> my mother really didn't share his passion. And oh, wow. so when we moved, uh, first we moved to Anchovy as an interim, while Flower, the house in Flower Hill, which was a big house, was being built. And um, I guess I don't know if I should say fortunately or unfortunately, like a lot of Jamaican. Jamaicans that I see based on my exposure, we moved into an unfinished house in Flower Hill. 
at that time, okay. there was no no running water. Uh, most people didn't have water, you know, like pipes that went into their houses. Um, right. There was no electricity. Um, and uh, for the first time in my life, the bathroom was outside. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I've only experienced the the outside bathroom at my family's house where they grew up as well on my father's side. Yes. And yeah, that's something that never grew on me. <laughs> it was a lot, a lot. It was almost like in America, I always find it amusing, you know, Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts learning outdoor lifestyle, you know, but we moved from, to me, uh, almost a modern successful life to to that type of living then we had to walk um three miles to salt spring in order to get to school so life was very hard so the, the truth uh, the truth is flower hill represented a time of my life that as a child i found uh i may even use the word traumatic and i actually believe i had blocked it out of my memory um and I was so happy to relocate to America. And mm. we relocated because at that time, there was a great political, um, uh, let's see, it was a troubling time politically. And my mm -hmm. dad felt that for the safety of his family, he felt it was best for us to relocate. And so that's my connection to Flower Hill. Um, and that's why we left. And at that time, I was so happy to have wow. left dad's paradise behind. So how was that transition when your family moved abroad? Oh, it was, it really was also life changing because we grew up um, as a unit where we always had dinner around the table together. We still had a certain uh, family structure. And when we came to America, our family life pretty much, uh, I wouldn't say fell apart, but it, it changed its dynamic. And mm -hmm. uh, so whereas I was the youngest of four, um, you know, had older brothers and sister, you know, you felt protected as the youngest you know, you come to America and it was a whole different exposure, a whole different lifestyle. So that transition um, as a teenager uh, also, uh, again, changed my life. Okay. So given that you were so happy to move to the U.S. and, you know, there were some difficulties in terms of, I guess, settling in the U.S. and so on, what was the initial pull to get reconnected back to Flower Hill, given that that move from your original home in Westmoreland to Flower Hill and those Flower Hill experiences were not, you know, the best for you, so to speak? Well, you know, Yannick, this is where God comes in the picture. Now, God was always in the picture, but um, when I left and came to America, Jamaica was just, the land of my birth. Uh, mm -hmm. And so I focused on my life in America. I became a mother at a young age and uh, went through my American experience. But dad 
um, at some point he relocated back to Jamaica and because uh, again he loves Jamaica and he loves Flower Hill okay so we would periodically you know dad would um, uh, come to Florida because my mom she didn't share his passion to the same degree so when they both relocated back she spent a, a short time trying to assimilate back to that lifestyle but then realized that she just couldn't so she moved to florida so one year when um i didn't get a chance to coordinate my visits with dad's visit when he went to florida to be with my mom i decided i would go to jamaica go to his beloved flower hill to pay him a visit you know and that particular year which was in the fall of 2010 when i went it was as as if god had uh, allowed me to think i was going to visit dad but instead i felt he orche orchestrated it so in that visit from the moment i landed at the airport i was disturbed i was asking dad um, a lot of questions uh, he was so happy to have me in his beloved flower hill but that mm -hmm. drive from the airport montego bay airport it just every it was i was just infuriated because i saw poverty um glaring at me i always call it the prosperity of poverty it just was flourishing all mm -hmm. seems as if nothing had really changed for the poor people the people who were poor and it just disturbed me uh, to the, the degree where i felt that my spirit was in knots i was my spirit was knotted in anger and to make it worse when we got to flower hill there was a storm so there was no electricity <laughs> oh dear <laughs> so i was back to my childhood I was just back to that experience and flower hill is located in the hills and it's overlooking um iron shore and you know all this rich luxury luxurious homes and communities and so the more dad loved to be on the balcony looking at the beautiful views but when i looked i saw hardship in the mountains looking at other people living well mm, okay i heard that the lights came on for other people in other communities but no, there was still no lights in flower hill then um so i'm going through that experience and my youth is rekindled then right someone comes to the gate dad goes to the gate to, and there is this little girl this little girl maybe eight or nine years old and she has a basket in her hands and so dad goes back and he looks for some money and he goes to the gate and he gives her the money and she gives him produce and that too was an image um that is imprinted in me because i kept thinking to myself this child is already a breadwinner for her family and I also saw where um, life hadn't really changed. And so I saw generations of poverty. Now I'm gonna fit it, wrap this point up really quickly. Sure. So I spent um, 
probably the longest seven days of my life in Flower Hill. In oh, dear. 2010. I just couldn't wait to leave. And I felt so bad because dad was so happy to have me. But I was mm -hmm. just, I was, my spirit was in knots. And so I spent the rest of my time at the Hilton Hotel. And it was such a luxurious experience. But the knots didn't leave me just because I left my location. And I was still trying to understand why was poverty flourishing when it wasn't flourishing everywhere. It just seemed as if there was a part of um, the area, those people who were prosperous kept being prosperous and those who were poor just kept being poor. And uh, so I, there were no one, all the questions I asked and all the answers they gave me, none of them seemed to make any sense to me, even though they probably were the right answers. And so when I returned back to the United States and I'm going to work, uh, listening to um, the music and the radio and Bob Marley's song came on, No Woman, No Cry, because right at that moment, the tears were just going to come because I couldn't get rid of this feeling, this anger. And it was right at that point when I heard God asked me, what was I going to do about the way I felt? And that is why and when I became connected or reconnected to Jamaica and this whole life-changing experience began. Wow, that's, that's just powerful to just hear that full backstory. I don't think we've, we've ever talked about it in that much detail. And so it's, it's even more empowering for me having been um, collaborating with you over the years on your Flower Hill initiative to hear the real root of it all. So now you're back in the States and as you said, you know, you're going about your daily life, but you get this, let's say, divine message. Um, what do you do from there? How do you go about trying to help, I guess, stem this growth of poverty that you witnessed on that trip? Well, you know, Yannick, I'm telling you, this is really a story because, you know, when God, God has his plan for your life, um, it's already written. The, the, the entire book of your life is already written before your eyes are open. And right at that moment when I heard God ask me that question, because all the time I was going through this realization of what I was experiencing in Jamaica, I had, there was nothing in me that said, oh, okay, but this is what you can do. This is what you will do. It really was nothing like that. But once I heard that question from God, it was almost like, uh, it was a question, but it was to me, it was saying, it, it, it pretty much was a commission because right at that moment, I realized that I had the power to create change. And right away, when I tell you like instantly, it's almost as if the plans were written on the easel. And as soon as God asked me the question and within me, I became enlightened by that question. It's like, the easel, an easel was unveiled and I saw the plan. The plan was that education 
was the key. Mm. Now, I didn't have to think about it because right in that one blurb, education. Now, a couple years back when I was involved in a church, I was the head of the scholarship program and I had written out a well-defined and documented program that just did not go anywhere. And it was almost as if when that easel, when the unveiling happened at the easel, it's almost as if that program was what was unveiled. What is happening through Jamaica Ambassador Program is not necessarily that program, but I didn't have to actually go down and say, okay, here's the program. God has been giving it to me every step of the way, but it's education, education. And when I say education, it really doesn't necessarily mean you have to go to the university. It's about your mind, opening your mind, learning, learning, knowledge. That's your power. You know, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And your passion is just so, so rich right now. I love it. But yes, yeah, so you just mentioned Jamaica Ambassador Program. So how did that come about in terms of your vision for shifting the growth of poverty in Flower Hill? All right. So, and I'm telling you, this is a story. So I came back from Jamaica. God asked me that question. I was just a few minutes away from my job. I mean, I remember everything as if it was yesterday. As soon as I got to work, and of course, you know, everyone wants to know, how was your vacation? I started to tell them exactly what I was going to be doing. And that was to go back to the community and provide books and help them. Because, you know, they say, Yannick, talk is cheap, right? Exactly. Somebody's struggling, you tell them what they can do. But you know what? There are times when... You, can, you need to tell them what they can do, but you need to realize that they need some help. Right. Absolutely. Yes. And I realized it had to be organized. So I am, I'm almost sure that right away, every single thing started in motion to the incorporate. And even with the name, I don't even remember sitting down and even trying to come up with it. It's almost as if everything, just like I said, it was on that easel waiting for me to realize that this was a job that I had to do. Once it's just everything pretty much just happened in, you know, sequence. So we incorporated. So remember the trip was in 2010, the fall of 2010. And we right. received our incorporation in uh, 2011 as a New Jersey based 501c uh, nonprofit organization. And started the mission um, by going to the community. I went to the, back to the community in March of 2011 to register um, students to receive school supplies. And so, you know, so school supplies is one of the educational support that we provide to the students. Okay. And so since two, 2010, um, in registering JAP, Jamaica Ambassadors Programs, and till today in 2019, having just completed another mission um, last month in July, 
what would you say have been some of the greatest accomplishments you've seen um, and, and done in this journey so far? You know, Yannick, to me, the greatest accomplishment is transformation of hope. You know, I can see your potential or I can see the hope uh, that's on your horizon, but until you see it, then we have not accomplished anything. And I remember um, for maybe even the first, maybe even three years, when I looked into the eyes of the kids, there I didn't see hope. I saw so much hardship in the eyes of children. But now um, I see hope. I see hope into their eyes. I see where they have been transformed. The Bible talks about renewing of our minds, and I see their minds uh, grasping, accepting, um, dictating to their actions that they deserve more. I mean, a lot of people say, we didn't even know we were poor. And to say that we are poor is not necessarily a bad thing, but to not be exposed to know that you can accomplish more, you can have more. You can be the head. You, you can be the change. Now, the greatest part of the accomplishment is seeing that transformation where they, are, they know that they can. And they are now moving into positioning themselves to reach for more. Awesome. Um, what has been some of the feedback from one the persons that you have been working with over the years in terms of volunteering and serving as sponsors to support your cause? What has been some of the feedback you've heard from them? And what has been some of the feedback you've heard from the participants, the youth who have benefited from not just the donation of school supplies, but how the, the program has expanded is that you now have various branches let's say of the program that are serving young people and also not just in flower hill but throughout the montego bay area as well what has been some of the feedback you've been hearing the feedback mainly if i talk about youth i believe the feedback is that they're very excited about their future they're excited about being a participant not just being a recipient but being a participant I did ask them when, and I'm talking now about the Flower Hill youth, I asked them who wanted my job <laughs> and their hands all went up. <laughs> and that's what I want. I want them to be the ones leading this program. I want them to lead other programs. And so they see a roadmap or that they see a possibilities that one day they could be doing their own thing just like me. Um, as far as the, adult volunteers, I believe that they, it is a challenge. I'm not going to make this glorified to say that there is a, <laughs> a lot of applause in what you do, but I believe that they're committed, that they want to see that change and they're happy to be a part of that change. They're happy to be taking on leadership responsibilities to guide the youth and to get the communities to be better established for prosperity. Um, as far as the donors are concerned, I thank God 
because um, the donors, my supporters, they, they trust me and they believe in what I call my crazy vision. I remember my former boss, she would look at me and she would shake her head and she said, Yvette, this is too much. You can't do this. And I really, um, this is not me. This is God in me that um, has put me on this job. And so I am crazy, but <laughs> I'm crazy. I accept that, but I see the, I see the fruit of our work uh, materializing. And as we're approaching our 10th mission in 2020, I see where God is even, um, he will and he is providing more resources to be able to continue to make a greater difference, not just to Flower Hill, but to other youth. Absolutely. I'm in total agreement with that. Now, doing this mission annually and holding a full-time job as well, which I know keeps you very busy, what would you say is that driving factor that keeps you on track to ensure that JAP is bigger and better each year? Because you have seen the growth steadily, whereby the second mission you could have just you know, pulled out a bit and said, you know what, this is too much or, you know, I only got two volunteers to come on the mission with me. I can't do this anymore. You've always been positive and stayed the course. What do you think it is that enables you to do that? When so many others, even though they, they say they are committed to a cause, tend to just fall by the wayside shortly after starting something. You know, Yannick, I believe it's the same answer. It's because God put me on this job. And whereas he could have chosen so many other people, because I'm not, and when I say this, I'm not saying this uh, in a piteous, like with pity, but I am the least of the apostles. I, I, I think I'm the person that most people know the least, even in my own family. Um, I'm not in any great circle. But God put me on this job. Um, and he knows that once I became convicted, see, if I had not received the conviction to know this was an assignment that I could make a difference, um, I would not be able to do this because it's really, I, I mean, there's so many other reasons I could tell you why uh, I couldn't. But because it's a conviction and God put this in me, it really is just plain old unstoppable. And that's why I can't tell anyone how long. I can't really tell you um, a whole lot of definitive information. I can only tell you that this is a God assignment. Uh, so therefore, as I didn't choose it for myself, he chose it for me. So he has a big, he has the master plan of it. But I will also say this one other thing. You know, I remember um, speaking to one of my earlier supporters and he said to me that he said to me, these are some of the things he wanted to see in the community, but these are the prerequisites that had to occur first. And I agreed from a, a business point of view, a logistic. Yes, I agree. But you know what? The kids are growing up older every single day. 
Kids can't wait till we get ourselves together. The right time is now. So for me, there's no excuse. You know, if we needed um, $10 to get it done and we only have $1, well, you know what? We're just going to have to find a way to get it done because that child and the children are not waiting for us, the adults, to get ourselves together. They can't wait till the government gets themselves together. We have to do it for them now because tomorrow might be a little too late. Well, I think those are powerful words to close out with, Yvette. And I think you're so right in that. I think many of us have have heard that in one way or another in terms of you don't need to be 100% to get started. Getting started is always the hardest part. But once you get started, it will happen. And I think that that, as you said, is what drives you along with your faith and this being your God-driven mission. And I know the young people in Montego Bay are grateful. Um, I'm also grateful that I was able to learn about this and become a part of it. And, you know, for folks listening, I mean, I think if nothing else, take that away from this week's episode that it's all about getting started. No matter what you think the prerequisite may be, Um, time isn't going to wait on you. Whoever you're trying to serve or whatever you're trying to accomplish isn't going to wait. So just get started and it will get done. Amen. So, (laughs) So thank you so much for sharing with us today, Yvette. Um, I know JAP and you at the helm of JAP will continue to prosper and continue to serve as greatly as you have been even more so. And I am just so excited about everything to come um, and continuing to serve young people and helping to change the picture of poverty in Jamaica. So thank you again. Thank you to our listeners for joining. And we invite you back next week for another exciting episode of Talawa with our next guest. Thank you for listening. Thank you.